You have your truth, and I have mine. And no one's belief is more valid than anyone else's. It's just about what you sincerely believe. But does that really work? This week, we'll take a closer look at these ideas on exploring the faith. I'm Kurt Parton, and this is Exploring the Faith, where we examine any question or issue that helps us be more faithful as followers of Jesus Christ. We want to be growing always closer to God to more deeply understand the life he's brought us into, to help and encourage our fellow believers, and to meaningfully engage the culture around us. Welcome to the discussion. In the place where our church used to meet, we had a huge decal in the window that read, Worshiping in Spirit and Truth. Most people like the idea of worshiping in spirit. A surprising number of people today consider themselves spiritual. They often contrast this with being religious, as in, I'm not at all religious, but I am very spiritual. Spiritual, in this way of thinking, means being aware of reality beyond the merely physical, being open to spiritual experiences and insights, being alive in one's spiritual life, rather than part of some cold, formal religious system. It's being deep, rather than shallow. Of course, this is all very appealing. A lot of people would like to see themselves as spiritual this way. But when we include the idea of worshiping in truth, some get a little uneasy. Ah, the T word. That's not nearly as appealing for some people. Why do we have to talk so much about truth? For that matter, why did Jesus have to talk so much about truth? That is, after all, who we get it from. Jesus often seemed very focused on the issue of truth. He even described himself as truth. In John 14, 6, Jesus said this about himself. I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. This is an exclusive statement. Jesus says he is the way and that there is no other way. For many people, this is precisely the sticking point. They could be comfortable with Christianity if we could only say, this is our way, but we accept that there are other ways too. Just choose whichever way works best for you. But Jesus had to repeatedly cause problems for those who want an I'm okay, you're okay kind of spirituality. A lot of people want to push back against the kind of absolute statements that Jesus made. They'd say something like, well, it's not a matter of what's true or not. It's just about what you believe. And they contrast faith with facts. You don't have the right to your own facts, but you can believe anything you want. It doesn't matter what anyone else thinks about it. The only issue is whether you sincerely believe it. But does this work? Something we begin to realize is that many people haven't really thought that much about what faith really is. It comes as a surprise to many non-religious people when they see that they actually use faith all the time. When you go to work every morning, you do this because you have faith in your employer. You believe they'll keep the business operating and that they're going to pay you at the appropriate time. If you had good reason to not believe this, you probably wouldn't keep going to work. You go outside of town and climb up into a hollow metal tube, which is controlled by someone you don't even see. And for some reason, you expect this contraption to take you hundreds or even thousands of miles over land and sea and even get you to your destination in time to then go and catch another metal tube. Why do we do this? Because we have a sufficient faith 
in the airlines to transport us from one point to another. We call this kind of faith objective faith because it's focused on the object of our faith, who or what we believe in. If the object of our faith is trustworthy, then our faith in it or them is justified. If our faith is this kind of objective faith, then we can put what we believe out there for anyone to examine so they can either verify it or refute it for themselves. But if someone says, it doesn't matter if it's true or not, just whether you sincerely believe, this isn't objective faith, it's subjective faith. It's what we call blind faith. The issue here isn't the trustworthiness of what we placed our faith in, it's really a faith in faith itself. When people speak of a blind leap of faith, this is the kind of faith they're referring to. The problem with blind subjective faith is clear. If the focus is on the faith itself, and if it doesn't matter if what you're believing is actually true, then we can believe any ridiculous thing we want. You want to believe that UFOs are coming to pick you up? Or that the rock in your backyard is actually your God? Go right ahead, as long as you sincerely believe. Subjective faith is irrational faith. People with this kind of faith are uncomfortable when anyone tries to examine what they believe in order to verify or refute it. Because the issue for them isn't whether the object of their faith is trustworthy or true, it's just that they believe. Blindly. The Christian faith is an historical faith. Christianity's claim is that it's based on a real historical person and event. At the heart of our faith is the person of Jesus Christ and his resurrection from the dead. We make this truth claim and put it out there for anyone to examine and either verify or refute. If someone suggests it really doesn't matter whether Jesus rose from the dead or not, we're quick to point out that the actual literal truth of the resurrection is the basis of our faith. As the Apostle Paul said, if Christ has not been raised from the dead, then our faith is useless. We're still guilty of our sins, and we're to be pitied more than anyone in the world. If the resurrection isn't true, then at best we're just playing church, believing in a myth. The Christian faith is not a call to make some blind leap of faith. No, Christianity is an objective faith. It's focused on the truth of what we believe. But some will complain that this insistence on objective faith is somehow harsh and intolerant. We should never have the audacity to even suggest that just maybe what somebody believes may not actually be true. No, what's true for me is true for me, and what's true for you is true for you, and no one's belief is more valid than another's. But does this work? Does anyone really live their life by this kind of philosophy? Let's consider some of what people commonly claim about faith and truth. We'll start with this one, the idea that no one's belief is more valid than another's. Have you heard that? It sounds nice, doesn't it? Very friendly and pleasant and affirming. Let me give you an example to show you the problem with this idea and why it just doesn't work. Let's say you have a young daughter, and your little girl wakes up in the middle of the night with extreme abdominal pains. At first, maybe you think it's just a stomach virus, but soon you realize that no, the problem is more serious than that. So you rush her to the emergency room. The doctor examines her and then comes out to talk with you. So, doctor, what's the matter with her, you ask? And the doctor responds, well, from my perspective, she has appendicitis. We need to remove her appendix, and if we don't operate immediately, she could die. But far be it from me to suggest that my beliefs are more valid than anyone else's. No, everyone should have the operation they sincerely believe is best for them. 
No one's belief is more valid than another's. So if you'd rather, I can take out her spleen or a kidney. How would you respond to that? You'd probably express yourself somewhat vigorously and let the doctor know as clearly as possible, look, I want you to fix whatever is actually wrong with her, right? Here's another one we hear. All the religions are really saying the same thing. How many times have you heard that? So first, if someone is saying this, they probably don't know much about what the various religions actually teach. While there are similarities here and there, the core beliefs of the world's religions are extremely different and, in many ways, incompatible. Even if we're only looking at the basic questions, who we are, the existence and nature of a divine being, the nature of reality, what we're supposed to do spiritually and how we're to do it, etc., The different faiths are mutually exclusive in key ways. These belief systems aren't saying the same things differently. They're saying definitively different things. Here's a story to illustrate why this is a problem. Let's say you hire a pilot to fly you from Florida to Puerto Rico. It's a beautiful day. You take off, and soon you're out over the ocean with no land in sight. And the pilot turns to you and says, So, which way do you want to go? And you answer, uh, what? And the pilot says, Pick a direction, any direction. And you say, well, how about the direction that will take us to Puerto Rico? And to this, the pilot responds, well, yeah, sure, but don't all directions lead to the same destination? We can go any direction you want. I'm not here to judge. And you would probably say something like, no, we can't. If we go the wrong way, we're not going to get anywhere but out in the middle of the ocean with no fuel. Find an airport and get me on the ground now. I think you get the idea. That doesn't work, does it? not for flying airplanes, and not for a faith on which to build our lives. But, some insist, we all perceive reality differently. When discussing these things with people, some have patiently responded to me, yeah, Kurt, but Christianity is true for you because it's in your frame of reference. We all have different perceptions of reality. And if the Christian God isn't in my frame of reference, then for me, he doesn't exist. But again, The problem with that is reality. We all know from sometimes painful experience that to be ignorant of something doesn't make it less true. Here's one last example. You wake up in the middle of the night and have to go to the bathroom. So you head down a darkened hallway, completely ignorant of the fact that your trusty canine companion has beat you to it. They've already gone to the bathroom right in the middle of the darkened hallway. Are you aware of the surprise that's waiting for you? No, you're not. Is it in your frame of reference? Nope. Does that mean for you it doesn't exist? No, I'm afraid not. Doesn't work that way, does it? What is actually real is about to invade your perception of reality and in a most unpleasant way. Reality has absolutely nothing to do with our perception of it or our lack of perception. You see, truth is simply what corresponds to reality. Truth is true whether we know about it or not. Truth is true whether we believe it or not. Truth is true whether we like it or not. Truth is simply what is true, what is real. We all really know this already. The reality is that postmodern architecture has to follow the laws of physics just the same as any traditional modernistic architecture. If a post-structuralist scholar is hired at a certain salary, they're not going to accept a smaller paycheck and someone telling them, 
Well, that's just your perception of reality. I see that meaning as more fluid than you. Regardless of our respective philosophies, we all live our lives according to what is logical, real, and objectively true. But for some reason, this all changes when we begin to talk about spiritual reality. Apparently, when we're discussing ideas and beliefs, we can throw all logic and reason out the window, and we can use any fuzzy, irrational way of thinking we like. But why? What gives us the right to jettison a rational view of reality simply because something's not immediately verifiable to us? It's not because it's less tangible. We work really hard at dealing with our emotions in a rational way, and they're not tangible. To be completely irrational about one's emotional life usually ends up being destructive and harmful. We all recognize this. But some might feel that to question someone's belief is somehow intolerant or unloving. But just how loving would it be to tell someone to just get whatever medical operation they feel like, or to fly any direction that seems right to them at the time? If someone was concerned they might have cancer, is it really loving to tell them, it doesn't matter what's true, it just matters what you sincerely believe? To tell them that if they don't know anything about the cancer, then, for them, it doesn't exist. Is that loving? Maybe we should take another look at this truth Jesus was describing, and think about how we can know what's really true. The Christian faith teaches that there is only one God, that He is eternal, that He created everything, and that He is distinct from His creation. Though we were created by Him, we've rebelled against Him. And so humanity is estranged from God. And that's a problem, because sin always results in death. Not because of some arbitrary ruling by God, but because that's the nature of sin. God is the source of life. Sin separates us from God, therefore sin results in death. This sin has poisoned and polluted all of us. Our race is in a state of decay and death because of our sin. And sin is pervasive, affecting every aspect of our existence. So God, because He loves us, won't simply say, I forgive you, and then leave us to continue in sin, and thus to continue to decay and die, both physically and spiritually. God can no more forgive and ignore our sin than we could forgive and ignore a deadly toxin in our children's drinking water. The sin must be cleansed. It has to be eradicated. But the consequences of the sin don't just magically disappear. They don't just go away. For the sin to be eradicated, the poison must be dealt with. Someone must take on the consequence of our sin, which means someone must take on death itself, either us or someone else. So, what if the eternal, infinite, creator God somehow, amazingly, mind-blowingly entered space and time, entered humanity, and actually became one of us? What if he himself took on the consequences of our sin? What if the source of life somehow experienced death, everything that death is, absorbing the poison that was destroying our race and our very souls? What if he taught us about himself and showed us how to escape this bondage to sin, decay, and death? And to experience the life that he's provided for us, the life that only he, as our creator, could provide for us? If this is all true, wouldn't it be kind of silly to insist, I'm going to choose another way? If God himself has provided the way for us, How could there be any other way? 
Now, this can all make sense, but it still begs the question, why are we convinced what we believe is true? So, the Christian faith is intended to be an objective faith, and it's logically coherent. Many would even find it compelling. Great. How can we be sure that faith is justified? How can we be sure what we're placing our faith in is trustworthy and true? At the heart of the Christian faith is Jesus. If we're going to explore the faith, that's the natural place to start. And so, that's what we're going to do. We're going to spend a few weeks considering different aspects of what Christians believe about Jesus and search out what we can really know about the historical person, Jesus of Nazareth. Before we do that, we should make sure we understand how we'll be approaching this. One misperception we should dispel right away is the idea that I'm going to prove to you the Christian claims regarding Jesus. In a discussion like this, some people will demand proof beyond the shadow of a doubt before they'll believe anything. But we can't absolutely prove much of anything at all. You don't have absolute proof that the place you work will still be open when you get there, or that you'll get a paycheck when the time comes. But you still keep going to work, don't you? That's because objective faith doesn't require absolute proof, just enough evidence to make faith in something compelling. Some things we're more sure about, others less. But we're basing that certainty on specific evidence. That's what makes it objective faith. This is especially true when we're dealing with historical claims and evidence. To borrow a legal term, when we're examining history, what we're looking for is a preponderance of the evidence. I can't absolutely prove when and where I was born, but I can present a fairly compelling case that would likely convince anyone willing to believe. We don't know absolutely that George Washington was the first U.S. president, that Napoleon was defeated at Waterloo, or that John F. Kennedy was assassinated in November of 1963. But we're relatively certain these things occurred. In this discussion, we're not expecting absolute proof, but we are looking to see if the evidence exists and whether it's compelling enough for us to reach a conclusion. And this leads us to presuppositions. What is a presupposition? Presupposition is just a fancy word for what we assume to be true. And we all have presuppositions. Each of us has been raised with and has accumulated various perceptions and viewpoints. And these presuppositions, what we assume to be true, these things color how we think about any subject. We'd like to think that we can examine a subject and be completely impartial and objective about it. But that's really naive. We can't escape having presuppositions. We need to be honest about that. But we can be aware of our presuppositions. We can temporarily set them aside and even consider the possibility that what we assume is wrong. If we couldn't do that, we wouldn't be able to change our minds about anything. We each have the capacity to see past our own viewpoints and assumptions and fairly consider the claims of others. This is what I'm asking all of us to do in this discussion. For those of you who are Christians, I'm asking you to re-examine why you believe what you believe. To paraphrase what someone once said, the unexamined faith isn't worth holding. This is a discussion we're having with people who don't share our beliefs, so we can't just appeal to what the Bible says. That doesn't carry the same weight for them, nor should it. So we need to be willing to explain why we believe the biblical account. This is a good thing. It's healthy for us to sincerely wrestle with these questions. For you skeptics, I ask you to consider the possibility that the New Testament accounts may be true. You don't have to be convinced, 
but are you open to the possibility? Many have said they were examining the claims regarding Jesus Christ in a fair, open manner, but then ruled out ahead of time any possibility of the supernatural. That's not intellectually honest. The unbelieving person can rely on logic that is just as unsound and reasoning that is just as circular as the person who believes the Bible just because the Bible tells them to believe the Bible. Let's all of us set aside our presumed conclusions, consider the possibility we may be wrong, and then just see where the evidence leads us. Okay? In the ancient accounts, Jesus is reported to have asked his disciples, Who do you say that I am? That's what we're seeking to answer. Next week, we'll start with the most basic question. Did Jesus really exist? Was he a real historical person who lived in first century Galilee and Judea? Some have said no. Do they have a case? Do we have a case? What does the evidence show? Join us next week as we dig into that question. Thank you for listening. If you enjoy this podcast, please rate it and leave a review wherever you get your podcasts. This will help others find us. You can find a transcript of this episode, along with any show notes, at exploringthefaith.com. Feel free to post a comment and join the discussion. We also welcome any questions or issues that you'd like us to explore. You can submit these at exploringthefaith.com. Exploring the Faith is sponsored by The Orchard, a Jesus-following church that meets in Rancho Cordova, California, and also in weekly interactive online studies. This is my home church where I'm blessed to serve as teaching pastor. You can find out more about The Orchard at orchardonline.org.